You're listening to The Last Breath Podcast, your home for more deeply connecting to your inner being, your higher meaning, and your greater purpose. Because creating peace begins now. I'm your host, Dr. Tej Khalsa, MD. Let us show you how to transform stress management into something beautiful. Liberation, our summer retreat, overcoming overwhelm. Why climb when you can fly? We'll make it all easy. Check out our show notes for tickets. To our global community of listeners, thank you for sharing the love and your feedback on our comeback episode. Sometimes stopping is the best way to start. We received the following submission from one of our listeners. How are you going to come alive today? This. All of it. Thank you so much for your offering through this podcast. I am in awe of how expansive it was, how you guided us through your own personal reflections and intimate experiences to the wisdom of the ancestors and great freedom fighters, back to you and me and the collective. I had to rewind the part about our dreams belonging to all of us. I just had to imprint this in my mind. I feel so seen and held and your writing and sound mixing is so transporting. I was right there at the bank door with you. Thank you. Thank you. I need this right now. The world needs this right now. Thank you to the listener who sent this beautiful and encouraging message in. The fact that you had to rewind and hit replay on the part about our dreams belonging to all of us made us appreciate that we have some work to do in our storytelling here on the Last Breath podcast. We want to make sure we are bringing home to each and every listener that idea that your dreams may not even belong to you, that those whispers of your heart may have been planted in you by the same grace that holds us all here, that those whispers of your heart are part of our collective longing for something greater, for peace. Today, I want to talk to you about how we can begin to listen to the whispers of our heart and give life to our dreams. I want to get specific about this process we are moving through together, shifting out of fatigue and into fulfillment. I want to talk to you about rest. In this episode, I'm hoping you can allow yourself to sink into rest, sink into this idea of rest as a method, a creative process, an essential path through which we can come more fully alive. We're going to sink into rest as a way of returning to our wholeness, to our peace. We're going to reclaim rest as power, as the seed, the essential source from which a new way of being and living becomes possible. We're going to reimagine rest as the principal architect and chief operating principle of a new world. It is only through rest that we can reclaim our capacity to reimagine a whole new world, a better world beyond this concrete reality, a whole new world that can be delivered when rest is the moral center, a world that operates just like the human heart. Relaxing is actually the only way your heart can work. When the heart relaxes, it fills itself up. It's only through this momentary rest, this pause, this pause between the beats, that space in between. It's only in this space 
that the heart can fill with the life-giving fuel it needs, oxygenated blood, which in a moment it will then squeeze and pump to the top of your head and the tips of your toes. The heart then relaxes to expand and fill again. Your own heart affirms for you how so much happens, so much is accomplished, so much comes alive inside the space of rest and relaxation. It is inside the space of rest that the heart receives, that the heart fills, that the heart expands. Just like writer Arundhati Roy says, another world is not only possible, she is on her way. On a quiet day, I can hear her breathing. This is why we serve you through this podcast. We know that deep inside every human heart is a longing for peace and fulfillment. That with every breath we take, there is a collective longing for peace. It is possible to move out of fatigue and into fulfillment. It is true that another world is possible. A world that supports you in your fulfillment, in having less fatigue and more fun. But here's the catch. We can't experience fun. We can't experience that shift out of fatigue into fulfillment unless each one of us takes time each day to relax, reflect, and rest. The last breath practice, this practice I do every night, is a rest practice. Before I go to bed, I meditate. Before my head hits the pillow, I pause. I don't treat myself like a machine. I don't go straight from my laptop to my pillow and assume I can just flip a switch and shut myself down. Nor do I pop a pill or drink some alcohol in order to manipulate my body to shut down. Instead, in my bedroom, under the light of the stars, I take a few minutes to ground myself, to feel held by the earth. I bathe myself in grace, and I give my responsibilities up to the same grace that holds us all here, and I breathe. I go within. I ask myself, when I take my last breath, how do I want to feel? The answer, the answer that whispers back each night, comes from my heart. It is the whispers of my heart. To the listener, I'm here to remind you that you cannot hear the whispers of your heart if you are running, if you spend all your time relentlessly working, running from one responsibility to the next. If that is you right now, if you're running and relentlessly working, I'm asking you now to stop, to stop running, to stop relentlessly working. And if you would like some support in making that shift from fatigue into fulfillment, let us help you. You're welcome to visit us at thelastbreathpodcast.com and become a member. Let us show you how to overcome overwhelm and return to peace. Return to your power so you can live out the fulfillment of your purpose. Yes, you can move out of fatigue into fulfillment and have fun in the process. Let's keep going with the show. We've been talking about this relentless running we do, 
this constant life of toil, of working. If this is you, I want to ask you, why? Why are you working so hard? Why are you running? What are you trying to run away from? And what do you think you are running towards? Whatever your answers may be, I invite you to actually dig a little bit deeper and ask those answers why and see what starts to emerge. To explain what I mean, I would like to offer up to you now my own story of running and the peace and power that came alive in me when I finally started to slow down. My second child was born with health complications, making it difficult for him to breathe. I remember him being two weeks old, looking at me with large, worried eyes, his neck muscles tugging with each and every breath, noisy and quick. The same underlying problem that made it difficult for him to breathe also made it difficult for him to drink milk, which of course is a newborn's only source of food. I remember sitting alone with him in a room in the emergency department for the same institution that I worked for. Only two weeks old, my baby had thermometers put up his bum and metal tubes slid down his throat. I still remember his screams and the blood dripping from his nose from where the surgeon pushed down a camera. Days later, the surgeon told us that if our little guy couldn't feed and gain weight, he would likely need an operation. He was a polite man, the surgeon. He offered my eldest son a sticker and then left us. Our whole family went home worried, wondering about our baby's future. This all happened in the United States, which is a beautiful country. It's also one of the richest and most well-resourced countries on the planet. It's also the only rich country on the planet to not have a national paid maternal leave policy. According to a 2019 report by UNICEF analyzing the world's richest countries, Estonia ranks at the top with over 80 weeks of leave at full pay. At full pay! 80 weeks, eight zero weeks. At the bottom of the list is the United States, with a grand total of zero weeks of paid leave for new mothers protected by law. <sighs> so living in the United States, after my baby was born, I had to return to work quite quickly, and I had to return working full-time. My baby's condition weighed heavily on my heart, but so too did our financial debt. I was now in medical debt to the same institution I worked for as a doctor. My first day back, I was terrified. Anytime I caught someone's eye, it triggered a larger-than-life grin to flash across my face. If people asked, Hi, Dr. Kalsa, how are you? How's the baby? How's Big Brother? I would respond with a quick, Oh, I'm great. He's great. Yeah, oh, Big Brother, he's doing great too. We're all doing great. But the truth was that I was in a panic. On day one of work, when I returned home, 11 hours after I'd left that morning, I was devastated to discover that my little one hadn't managed to drink even one ounce, not even one ounce, through his little bottle. I came home to find him in the same diaper from 11 hours ago, and it was bone dry. That empty diaper was soul-crushing. I went straight from the front door to a rocking chair, held my baby, lifted up my dress, and just as he was about to latch onto me, he let out a loud, hungry screech. 
a sound I'd never heard from him before. But as quickly as it pierced the air, it disappeared. He latched. My husband and I, desperate, had to recalculate a new plan very quickly. We went to several medical appointments, tried five different bottle brands, different plastic nipple designs, medicine droppers, weekly appointments with occupational therapy and nutrition. We did everything we could to try to figure out how to help our little guy learn the bottle. None of it helped. And the trouble was that even breastfeeding was difficult for the little one. He would choke about a few seconds into breastfeeding and give up completely at the minute mark. My husband resigned himself to staying at home with the kids and started bringing our baby to the clinic where I worked. My husband and the baby would drop big brother off at school, then come to the clinic, spend the entire day waiting in the patient waiting room or sometimes squaring themselves away in my little personal office where I completed medical records. They would wait wait in the hopes that we might be lucky enough to squeeze five minutes in, in between patients, for me to give my son a quick little feed. If it was really busy in the clinic and I had to give all my time to my patients, the baby would miss feeds and go hungry. Knowing his tummy went empty at times made my heart heavy with guilt. I tried to make up for the missed feeds at work by feeding him every two hours at night, and then I'd get up and go to work and we would repeat the same thing all over again at the clinic. This routine was actually an upgrade. My husband and I had spent the first 10 weeks taking turns sleeping upright against a wall, holding the baby on our shoulder. He was able to breathe and sleep better that way, but we didn't. At work I was like a zombie. The sleep deprivation was so significant that I lost almost all of my short-term memory. By the time a patient finished a sentence, I couldn't remember what they had said at the start of the sentence. So in an effort to make sure I could still do my job, I started transcribing everything my patients were saying to me on a pad of paper, and then summarizing every few sentences to confirm that I was getting the story. I just pretended that this was how I normally worked. I survived. Running from one responsibility to the next. If I bumped into a colleague at the elevator, I couldn't for the life of me remember their name, even if they had been the chair of my hiring committee. Looking back now, I wonder if this is anywhere near what it feels like for folks when dementia is setting in. You fall outside of time. You become a shell of yourself. The physical body is there, but it's hard to know what exactly on the inside is left intact. The only thing I remember from that time is panic and trying to outrun it. But I can't blame all this running on my baby or on motherhood. The running had been going on before he had even been born. While I was pregnant with him, I would regularly wake up at 4 a.m. to work on a research project before clinic, help my son get ready for school, then go see patients, come home, do dinner, and spend a little evening time with my son, get him to sleep, and then I would stay up till midnight doing more paperwork for a research project that would eventually fail. In the one year before my baby was born, I had already frittered away 700 hours of unpaid time, unpaid time, on a toxic research collaboration. Time that would have been better spent sleeping, better spent resting and relaxing, better spent loving my firstborn and my husband. Looking back now, 
My husband confesses he used to watch me running around like this working and wonder to himself, why? Why is she doing this to herself? The answer to his question would only come after I finally created space and time to rest. Beginning to center rest happened after I eventually received approval from a committee to cut back my work hours. The rationale for the cutback in hours was less inspired by love and more driven by fear. I needed to make sure our son could stay on top of his weight and developmental milestones so that he could thrive and avoid surgery. And I was terrified. Terrified that I might inadvertently hurt one of my patients. I knew how dangerous it was to be working and caring for people when I was so severely sleep-deprived. When you bump into the guy who hired you at the office elevator and you can't remember his name, that's a sign that you have now entered dangerous territory. In the name of survival, I knew I had to stop. I had to stop running. In the name of survival, it was finally time to rest. I remember my first week on the new schedule. It was a Thursday morning, a Thursday morning in January, and I was sitting in the kitchen with my infant in my lap, watching children bouncing out of their houses, layered up like marshmallows in their snowsuits and backpacks, springing from one snow boot to the next, as they made their way through a thick blanket of white down to the yellow school bus at the bottom of the road. Cradling my baby in an armchair, cozy in our warm kitchen, which still smelled like toast, I watched parents slide their cars out of their icy driveways to head to work. In my town, most people worked for the famous clinic down the road, just like I did, or they worked for the famous global computer company. Everyone on the block knew where everyone else worked. That's when it hit me. My heart suddenly started pounding in my ears, loud, low, reverberating like a battle drum. I felt a sting of panic sear through my chest. The back of my neck felt hot and sweaty. My throat felt thick like molasses. My thoughts began to blur together into an indecipherable tangle of emotions. Panic. I was having a panic attack. And with that awareness that I was having a panic attack, I made a decision. I made a decision not to run. Not to run away anymore. I decided to remain still, to pause, to rest and sink into the sensations of panic. I began to meditate. I began to feel, reveal, heal. I'm having a panic attack, I said to myself quietly. I continued to cradle my baby in my lap, still looking out the window at the cold. I thought of my panic as a baby. I started to go inside myself, holding myself too. I imagined my panic as a baby, and I wrapped my arms, arms that serve as an extension of a mother's heart. I wrapped those arms around the panicked baby. Why am I having a panic attack? I asked myself inwardly. Because everyone's going to school and going to work, my panic said to me. But why am I having a panic attack? I gently probed deeper, 
like a patient, loving mother. Because I'm still at home, my panic said to me. Yes, I'm still at home, I replied. But why am I having a panic attack? I persisted, gently, but firmly. And here's what came next. Because if I'm not working, it means I must be worthless. And just like that, I excavated down to the root of my panic. And in striking its concrete foundation, something in me cracked. Something broke open. The panic disappeared. But something else came rushing in, flooding my body. Shame. Sitting in my kitchen with my brown skin, white tank top, and pink patterned pajama bottoms, nursing my child under the light of the winter sun, I was awash now in shame. I felt fleshy and female. I felt how my own body's natural needs were a rebuke to society's social norms, and it gave me shame. It gave me shame. Inside, I stopped meditating and started running again. I didn't want to feel my flesh. I didn't want to feel its shame. I wanted to run away from everything it meant, the needs of the flesh, the need to rest, the needs of being a mother, to love, and to be loved, to hold my baby, and to be held in turn, that this earth could hold me too. All these needs, overwhelming, too much, too many needs, too personal, too many needs denied. Why couldn't I just work like a machine? Why couldn't I remain a workhorse like I was expected to? Why couldn't I work like an animal? Why this longing? Why this longing for something more? To slow down. To slow down. To slow down and rest. None of it felt good. So I ran into my head for help. I thought maybe my intellect could save me. <laughs> my cold intellect wagged a finger at my red-hot shame, telling me I should know better and snap myself out of it. My intellect lectured me on feminist economics, how the informal domestic economy was an essential part of the contrived formal economy. My intellect told me I should know better after getting a master's degree studying these things. Intellectually, I knew all about the problems of patriarchy and capitalism, but it didn't make me feel better. <laughs> my shame only became more inflamed. Then my intellect turned to my training as a physician. It lectured me on the health benefits of breastfeeding for early childhood development, that it was okay to rest. But the red-hot burn of shame remained. No change. Then my intellect tried again. It reminded me of the public health benefits of being with my child, how society should be actually thanking me. They should be thanking me for taking a break to be with my child because in doing so, I was contributing to a more stable society with less violent crime. But my shame was undeterred. So I paused the lecture. Still holding my baby, I stopped running and returned to meditating. I deepened my breath. I imagined myself once more wrapping my arms around my feelings, the arms of a loving mother holding my own shame. It's okay, I said. You're only human. And just like that, my shame transformed. It was reincorporated 
integrated back into my loving heart and body. I felt my spine and muscles fortify. Somewhere along the way of navigating the outside world, I had succumbed to some pretty deep social conditioning. It had got me running. That morning in my kitchen meditating, I decolonized a little bit of it. In transmuting the shame around resting, I transformed. I reclaimed myself as sovereign, the sovereign ruler of my own inner space. This is authentic power, the power to always be able to affirm and protect our inner space, our peace, in a world that would otherwise try to trick us into surrendering it into our own defeat. I would like to offer up these words for you to feel into from the book Freedom, Medicine Words for Your Brave Revolution by former Howard University social psychologist Dr. Jaya John. We run from our heritage, our history, our ancestors, our traditions and customs and rituals and ways. We run from our language and values. We run from our own natural bodies, hair, and expression. We run from abundance and joy, from love and kindness, from anything soft and nurturing. We belong, at least we think we do, to hard days and hard ways. Thus, we will live in this pain forever. To the listener, where do you need to stop running? And as you resolve to stop running, to slow down, to rest, you may, like I did, have to face your fears. You may have to face your pain. And when this happens, instead of doing a throwdown, I hope you'll do a slowdown. Instead of doing what I did, the throwdown, attacking yourself, judging yourself over what you're feeling, instead of lashing out in blame and shame, instead of doing a throwdown, I hope you'll do a slowdown. Slow down. Stop running, stop reacting, pause, Breathe, feel, feel into whatever you are experiencing in your body. Reveal, hold yourself in acceptance and compassion. Hold yourself the way you imagine a loving mother would hold a baby. And in that process, you will heal. Your own peace will effortlessly fill your heart once more. Feel, reveal, heal. This is authentic power. It takes practice, but we can do that together. Rest allows you to find your way back to peace, to the real authentic power you were born with. Rest lets you receive. It lets you receive and return to your own natural power to your abundance. 
just as the human heart centers rest as the gateway for everything it does, I hope you, through your daily last breath practice, will set an intention to do the same. Allow yourself to soften, to release the contraction that comes from too much time running, that comes from too much time entrenched in this concrete reality. Soften, release, rest. Rest and receive. Allow yourself to receive, to hear once more the whispers of your own loving heart. Can you hear the whispers of your heart? Are you listening? In that space before sleep, that space in between, between one day and the next day, in that space between one moment and the next, in that space between each breath, each inhale and exhale, in that space between each and every heartbeat, in that universal space of rest. Can you soften? Soften into rest. Can you receive the whispers of your heart, the whispers of a dream that can only be heard through rest? To the listener, may you rest in power, dwell in power, come alive to your power. Rest and listen to those whispers of your heart, because creating peace begins now. The Last Breath Podcast is written and hosted by me, Dr. Tejkalsa, MD. The podcast theme song is written and performed by me. I'm a physician and educational consultant to the World Health Organization. The views expressed on this podcast represent my views only, specifically my own mission of connecting stress management, resilience, and well-being to our collective secret longing for rehumanization and liberation. The Last Breath Podcast is a free public service offered up to our one human family. Special thanks to Diana Williams and David Stenhouse of DDG. Special thanks to Makia Moody of Kairos and Heart Consulting. Special thanks to Avtar Singh Khalsa, whose song Freedom is featured on our season finale episode. This podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for medical evaluation or treatment. Our summer retreat is available now. Tickets are limited, so get yours today. Visit our show notes for details.